Hi there, everyone. This is Joanne Beaudry Larocque, and it is November 2nd, 2023. I'm a little bit behind in my podcast because of uh, some family events, obviously. I had uh, had a, done a podcast with my brother, Patrick, and we discussed the uh, memory of her mother who passed away uh, September 29. 2023. So, uh, since then, I, uh, had orchestrated a memorial mass for my mother. We had about 81 people that attended the mass for my mother at St. Kevin's Parish in Hanmer, Ontario. Uh, there was a funeral, uh, Mass for my mother that was held by three of her sons in Calendar. They they use that area because they see it. This is where our mother was buried. Uh, well, she was buried. She is buried there in Calendar, but she was born there. But uh, as my mother's PO8 on two different occasions, my mother has always expressed that she wanted her funeral to be held at St. Kevin's Parish in Hanmer, the same parish that my father had his funeral at. And she was also a member of St. Kevin's Parish for 47 years. So uh, she loved that church. She loved that parish. She loved her friends. Uh, She, in her earlier years of uh, being a member of St. Kevin's Parish, she used to uh, and volunteered to wash the church linens and iron them. And she couldn't just wash them in regular uh, washing machine water because the water was blessed from the church linens being used in the church, the Catholic church. And so she used to empty the water out in the backyard, her parent, uh, her backyard, and it would be amongst her flowers, her trees, and so that's how careful she was with the the water that was used to wash the church linens. And then she would spend hours ironing all the church linens, the the vestments used by the priests, and then bring it back for next Sunday. So she did this for many years, and also she was a member of the CWL, which is the Catholic Women's League, and uh, she was also the Eucharistic minister, which meant that she would uh, be in the line uh, at the front of the church and sit in the front pew, and then uh, pew meaning the benches in the church, and then she would also... uh, disperse and and give out the holy sacrament which is the bread that uh, in the catholic church that people are given to usually by the priest and by eucharistic ministers so when my mom was taken away by brother uh by one of her sons uh brother number two after me to little current ontario which is on Manitoulin Island, it devastated her. And I have 
hundreds and hundreds of phone calls of her uh, crying with depression uh, because she did not want to go there. And uh, so I took it upon myself to try to bring her back with uh, hiring a lawyer. And uh, this lawyer uh, lied on many occasions saying he was going to court to represent me, but he never did. And so I fired him after three years, realizing he was not a good lawyer. I reported him to the Law Society. He's been reprimanded, but uh, it is also going through to the tribunal. And so anyway, I took it upon myself to represent myself to try to bring my mother back, even though with her having vascular dementia, I felt the familiarity of of maybe not being in her own home anymore because her sons had sold it, her her home that she lived in uh, since 1973, that at least if she was living in our home or a facility close to the home that she lived in since 1973 uh, until 2017, that she would have the company of more family and more friends. And her friends meaning a lot of the people in the church that she loved, St. Kevin's Parish. Uh, Sorry, my clock is going off. So... I ended up, after I didn't go to the funeral that three of her sons held for her, I felt I was going to be ambushed or chastised by one who uh, has a history of insulting me and slandering me. And I've written about this in my affidavits, which are available for public viewing at the Sudbury Courthouse. And uh, I didn't feel that this was what my mom wanted. So I, I felt that by not going to the funeral in calendar that they had for her, that I was going to instead honor her wishes and have a memorial mass for her at St. Kevin's Parish in in Hanmer, Ontario, which is part of Greater Sudbury. <clears throat> so it, it was... It was beautiful. Uh, there was uh, 75 that went to the luncheon, but there were three couples and one other person that uh, that I know of, and maybe even more, that didn't stay for the luncheon. So we, uh, there was 75 counted for the luncheon, so we're guesstimating at least 81, if not more, people that attended the memorial mass. Uh, the ones that the three of my mother's sons had for her in calendar. One of my uh, brothers that did go said maybe there was maybe 30, if that, at the calendar uh, church. And it, you know, at least my mother had the luxury, I guess you could say luxury, of being honored twice since she passed away. so with the memorial mass, it was what I I felt would be the right thing to do was to have the mass in the church that she loved, that she was taken away from, and by one of her sons. And 
everything fell into place. I mean, it just, I worked hard beforehand, uh, contacting, uh, went to visit the priest, and of course, uh, brother number two chastised me in a text because of that, that I dishonored my mother, but I, I felt like that's his insecurity, <laughs> not mine. Uh, but I basically um, asked the priest what we could do, and so he said, since we don't have her, uh, we won't have her body or her ashes, we could instead do a memorial mass. And I was, I was grateful to Father Rex for that uh, suggestion. And so I paid for that, uh, and uh, I paid for that memorial mass. Our daughters, uh, Chanel and Jessica, helped as well uh, by offering their own services, their own help, and my brother Patrick helped as well, and so many others. There's so many people that I wrote thank you cards for and or messaged them privately on Facebook. Uh, I also had have three of my mother's plants here. And I figured it would be a nice gesture and as a token of our appreciation for people that do come, that will be coming to her memorial mass to give them a, a small plant clipping of her plant that she had given me that now is in three different um, pots in my house. So I spent a few hours cutting clippings and I had made about 80-some clippings, and there wasn't any left. <laughs> uh, I found one that was kind of tucked in a in my papers, but it might have been someone that had dropped theirs. And other people had said that they weren't able to get clippings or they couldn't find any, so I offered to bring them some, which I will. But the clippings are from a plant that my mother gave me that keeps on growing and growing and growing, the gift that keeps on giving. And so I I cut little clippings and I wrapped them in soaked uh, paper towels and I put them in Ziplocs and then I put elastic around the bottom. I posted pictures of that on Facebook and uh, everyone was so grateful for that. And then at this also as a thank you, I didn't have the... Uh, I certainly don't have the estate monies to pay for all of this, so it came out of pocket. But I uh, went to Staples, and I have a, I took a, a beautiful picture of my parents before my dad was sick with Parkinson's, and he also had Lewy body dementia. My mother had vascular dementia. But before they were even sick, um, it's a beautiful picture of the two of uh, my parents uh, together, and then a nice picture of my mom that I took of her uh, in her living room. And uh, I just love that picture. So I went to Staples, I made a copy of the picture of my parents, picture of my mom, and then on the other side, I have my own uh, obituary that I wrote for my mom in my own words. And then I took uh, the pictures that were used from the sympathy cards that were given out at the calendar funeral home that some relatives had sent me copies of. And I put that on the other side, uh, the picture of my mother and my parents. So uh, I offered, I, I used all these envelopes that my mother, that were given to me um, when my brother sold her house, just blank envelopes. And I had 
all kinds of them, about a hundred of them. So I put in that, I call it my memorial card, inside the envelopes, and I put in a little thank you. Uh, and so everyone went home with a, a beautiful picture of my parents and my mom and a clipping from my mom. So they each get to uh, bring a little piece of Sue home. Her name was Suzanne, uh, but we called, uh, many of her friends called her Sue. So they, they brought a clipping of my mother home, a little bit of Sue, and then this memorial card. So during the memorial mass, uh, my brother Patrick uh, said a beautiful eulogy. He wrote it uh, on his own. And it was, I was, was so proud of him because my mother at different times had said, you know, he, 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 could, he wasn't able to communicate too well because he was shy or wasn't confident. And he did such a beautiful job uh, in his eulogy talking about our, our mother and, and his, our parents and then his best friend, Chris Martell, who was like a brother to him. And it was beautiful. And then our daughter, and so he represented me and as one of the, ch and himself as, as two of the children of Suzanne Sue Baudray. And then our daughter, Chanel Larocque, uh, read her eulogy and uh, both my daughter and my brother became emotional while they uh, recited their eulogies and talked about my mother, our mother, and Chanel, her grandmother. And it was just beautiful. Uh, before the Mass, my stepson, Robert Larock had written a beautiful original song. And so he sang and performed his song and played guitar. And then Chanel, uh, she was in lead in many musicals, in theatrical musicals. She was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. She was Cinderella in Into the Woods, and so on and so forth. So one of the songs that she sang to my mother before my mother died was Somewhere Over the Rainbow from The Wizard of Oz. But she felt that this time it would be another song that she'd do in celebration of my mother and another favorite song of my mother's was uh, You Are My Sunshine. So she sang that with my husband, Mike LaRock, who played guitar. And then uh, the eulogies were, were done by Patrick and Chanel. And uh, Chanel's son, Hendrix, said a, <laughs> a few things to his mommy while she was at the podium at the uh, at the altar saying her eulogy and then the readings were done and I read the first reading and and uh, what I loved about that first reading was God's promise to dry up your tears and so um, I just love that reading it was just perfect and then two other ladies from the CWL uh, read two other readings and then Mike uh, performed another song my husband uh, and then Chanel and Mike sang Amazing Grace, which was just beautiful. And this was when we were, everyone was going up to receive the communion. Uh, the song that Mike had sang, uh, sung, <laughs> sang, that Mike had sung uh, while the priest was preparing the Holy Sacrament, the gifts, 
uh, was Just a Closer Walk with Thee. It's a song that, it's a gospel song that Patsy Cline recorded. And uh, he did that, he sang that song, played guitar. And then while people were going up to receive communion, uh, that's when him and uh, Chanel, our daughter, sang Amazing Grace. They have perfect harmony, uh, father and daughter. Uh, just He sings a lower tone, and Chanel can hit those high notes, and it was just beautiful. So, uh, and Father Rex was wonderful as, as the priest. He's a good, kind-hearted soul, and um, so... After the service was done, uh, memorial mass was done, then Mike started to sing the song Pretty Pictures. And that's a song we both wrote in honor of my father several times, many times, but there was a few several times where uh, sometimes our daughters would take care of my dad if my mom had to go somewhere or, and she wanted me to go with her, mostly to go shopping at Sears or whatever. Uh, then Jessica and Chanel would take care of my dad if, if Mike was at work. But there were several times that Mike was at home and he would take care of my dad because he had Louis body dementia and also Parkinson's. He suffered so much. And then he had multiple myeloma before he passed away. But there was a few incidents that struck a chord with my husband with while taking care of my dad. Uh, he would take him on his sales trips to North Bay and they'd stop in Verner where my father's uh, ancestral home was from or Cash Bay. But one time... Uh, my dad would follow Mike around the house. And there was one time that my dad was pacing kind of up and down the hallway. And he stopped to look at the at this picture. I had I always have pictures all over my house of family members. <clears throat> and one of them was the wedding picture of my my parents. And my dad didn't recognize the people in the picture, but what he did saw in his mind was that it was a pretty picture. And that's what he said, pretty picture. And it was the one of him and my mom on their wedding day in 1956. And so uh, it was around that time that Mike thought that would be a beautiful song. And so we he started writing the song and then I'm a co-writer. So I added in my my words as well and that song is doing quite well it's streaming on spotify and all different uh streaming platforms and so mike sang that song pretty pictures after uh, the service was done when the priest was walking down the middle of the the aisle and then then mike wanted to sing one more song and it was my parents' favorite song because my parents were always the first on the dance floor and the last to get off the dance floor at any dance they went to, and they went to a lot. My parents were social butterflies. And so one of the songs that they absolutely loved, and they loved it when Mike would sing to them, and our kids too, when our daughters would sing to them, 
one of the songs that Mike sang to them, which they loved, was Crystal Chandeliers. So he started to sing that song, and people were getting up to go, and then they stopped, and they sat down again. He started to sing that song, but in his mind, all of a sudden, he could see my parents dancing together, and then he became emotional. And then he ended the song earlier. He didn't do all the verses for that song because in his mind he could see my parents were really happy and they were dancing together to crystal chandeliers. So it was quite beautiful. I I went to thank my husband and Robert, Chanel, and other friends came up and congratulated them. And then in the luncheon room were... Uh, one of the CWL ladies counted 75 people were waiting. So the priest came in and he said, they're waiting for you. So I hurried up and went into the lunchroom. But Chanel uh, had said, go ahead, start eating. And there was so much food. Uh, Again, I didn't have the estate. I don't have the estate to pay for it. So everybody, we made a, a Facebook messenger group and so many people contributed, including the CWL ladies. They they also contributed on their own some desserts and, and whatever. But we had everything from meatballs to uh, nacho dips to sandwiches, egg salad sandwiches, tuna sandwiches to fruit trays and veggie trays and desserts galore and cookies and squares and it was just pickles and olives and just quite the lunch. It was a beautiful lunch and meal and that place at that dining room at St. Kevin's Parish in Val Therese where it was held was just filled with people and so many so many people gave me sympathy cards and they said this was her church, meaning my mom. This was her church. This is where her funeral should have been. And they said um, it was so beautiful. And they were so glad I did that for my mom. And it was nice to receive so many compliments and accolades. And I really appreciated that because of the the past stuff that went on uh, with some of my mother's sons who took immense joy in lying about me and slandering me and twisting things against me. So, uh, and for many years, I didn't go to St. Kevin's Parish. I, I just felt like so, my brothers had, some of my brothers had done a good job in, in trashing me. So I, I felt like how many other people don't like me there? But, you know, to go after uh, during that memorial mass and after, and then to receive so many wonderful um, compliments by people. And there were some ladies that said to me when they went to visit my mother, who was taken away to Little Current at the Manitoulin Centennial Manor, that my mother said to them, she did not want to be there. And they knew that she didn't want to be there. And they knew that she was taken away to a facility that she didn't want to go to. I know my mother told me that, uh, and then when the night that she was brought there, she called me crying, Joe, come and get me. And she was almost like hysterical. And that spurred me on to hire a lawyer with the help of Mrs. LaRock, Mike's mom, to hire a lawyer to try to get my mom back. And all I wanted, and for five years, uh, three of her sons, two for sure, um, that were the other POAs, 
uh, hit for me was her medical. All I wanted was her medical to prove that she didn't have dementia and that she signed her uh, fourth will uh, and fifth POA document of sound mind and body. But when she called me that night in April 2017, Joe, come and get me. I knew then she did not understand what she signed and that her sons betrayed her. They betrayed her. They lied to her. They probably reassured her, no, no, she could stay in her house. But it was just a ruse. And so um, at the end of the day, uh, I, I still, I'm not sure really what to do. I have a lawyer in Toronto I've been in communication with. Uh, one of her, my mother's sons uh, said to me, I implore you not to do past accounts from March 2017. This is when my mother first went into the hospital with brain bleed. Uh, so what is what are they hiding? Again, what are they hiding? Uh, now that she's passed, I could prob I probably will get her medical and find out all along. When was she first diagnosed with dementia? And uh, and then to pass accounts. So it's uh, it's something I I I plan to do. Uh, and uh, one of my other brothers who was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenic asked one of the POAs about my mother's insurance. And uh, the POA said to this brother, oh, it's only 15. But then I have the papers from 2016 showing that her insurance was 21,000. So, I mean, he continues to lie. Uh, he's a thief, uh, as well, because uh, I brought my mother a doll, a therapeutic type doll, and this is what was recommended to me by the Alzheimer's Society for to comfort uh, dementia patients and vascular, especially dementia patients that could be very anxious and have panics and attacks and anxiety. And <clears throat> so I brought a doll to my mother with the doll clothes, and she just loved it. She dressed it right away and put the little sleeper on and the little hat and she, I have pictures of her holding it. Well, that same brother who is the main POA stole the doll and I called the OPP and they said there was an OPP and little Kern and they said there was nothing they could do. He is my mother in a way. He was, he is representing her so he could take the doll and he never returned the doll. It's just a simple little, it was a baby doll and he has three grandkids, so probably he gave the doll to one of his grandkids. I don't know, but he never returned the doll. And I don't have any of the jewelry my mother wanted me to have. I don't have my childhood pictures, all the clothes. Um, I mean, it, it's it's not a matter of wanting her stuff. It's a matter of how things were done with my dad when he passed away. When my dad passed away, any of his clothes were put on a bed, and then my mother included, she wanted even my husband because he, my dad had told my mother that he considered my husband one of his sons uh, to be around the bed. My husband didn't go uh, to stand around the bed to pick and choose any of my dad's clothes or hunting gear or anything like that. But I asked my son, of course, Brent, uh, to be the one to represent me. Uh, because I'm the only daughter of six kids. But for my brothers, they just gave away everything that my mother had or took 
them for themselves, possibly to give to their wives. And that would include clothes, possibly sweaters, leather gloves, uh, whatever. And so I don't have anything. They uh, and jewelry. Uh, there was apparently a meeting that was held, and with my mother's sister. So of course she probably hates my guts because of what everything was said to her by the one POA, and she didn't probably like the idea that I called her after my mother was taken away and and reminded her of what happened to her mother when her mother was uh, living with my parents briefly before she. My grandmother ended up in the hospital that my grandmother didn't want to be there. She wanted to stay in her own home. And uh, my aunt had told me about this. So when I called my aunt, I said, you, you're doing what was done to, your, to my mother, what was done to your mother. And she probably didn't like that. Of course, no one wants to be accountable for what they've done that hurt is harmful to another person. And so uh, when there was a supposed meeting with my with my aunt, uh, who I don't call aunt anymore, but anyway, my mother's sister and one of the POAs that any of the jewelry, and my mother wanted me to have a lot of her jewelry or to make sure it went to uh, certain granddaughters. And she did say to me when my mother and I went through all her jewelry, we uh, this was when she was writing up her codicil and she had me type it up. Of course, my brothers, uh, two of them didn't recognize anything that my mother wanted me to have on the codicil. Uh, but anyway, uh, she, we went through all the jewelry. I took pictures of a rhinestone necklace. I know that one of her granddaughters took it, stole it, whatever, uh, and then asked my mother to keep it when my mother has dementia. So, of course, my mother doesn't remember that she wanted me to have it, her only daughter. So now this granddaughter has the, the rhinestone necklace that my father gave to my mother, that my mother wanted me to have, but to make sure if any of the granddaughters get married, that they'd be able to wear this beautiful rhinestone necklace. And it's costume jewelry. It's not uh, priceless gold or silver or anything like that, but it's of sentimental value. So anyway, um, Getting back to the memorial mass, we had a beautiful luncheon, uh, and then we had a party at our house. And I and I remember when I was a young girl, uh, if any of the Dupuy relatives died, there'd be, I couldn't get over that. Someone had died. Everyone was sad during the funeral or the mass. And then there was like a get-together at someone's house, probably like my grandparents' house or whatever, or at a hall, and there'd be someone bringing out their guitars and someone singing or people singing and big luncheon, jokes were being said. And and I just thought, that's so weird. I mean, people, someone just died and everybody's having a party. And I didn't understand that as a young girl, but as, I, as I've gotten older, and then under the circumstances with my parents, both of them being so sick and then now being free, uh, my mother, especially, because to me, she was in prison at Manitoulin and Centennial Manor, where she was brought to against her will. Uh, she had said something about she uh, had even to go through two green garbage bags to choose clothes that she was supposed to keep. And it, it made her feel like a homeless person. 
And these clothes were apparently clothes that her son had put together that he thought she'd like. And, and, and how she didn't want to get out of his truck and she was yelling at him and swearing at him. And she didn't want to get out of his truck when he brought her from the hospital here in Sudbury to Little Current and she was swearing at him and refused to get out of the truck. And uh, just the horrible treatment that he did towards our mother. And uh, so anyway, I just figured, you know, uh, with all the recorded calls I have of my mother, that she's free. She's not in that prison anymore. Because the calls that I have with my mother, being so severely depressed, walking those stupid hallways at that center, the facility that she did not want to go to, she always made me and my husband promise never to put her into a facility like her friend Doris LaBelle was put into. But Doris went in willingly, but my mother did not. And the one brother that I that was uh, at one time POA with me, I, I asked him, why are you investing her money so much? I mean, well, just in case, of course he lied, just in case she needs it, you know, she's sick and she's in her home and she needs it. But of course that was a lie. It, everything he says is a lie. And so, uh, including even when she was dying, I went into the, the manor and there's the priest doing the last rites. And I'm thinking, oh my God, she died. And so I said, excuse me to the priest. And I went down and I realized, she, on the, I went down on my knees by her bedside and I realized she didn't die. And then uh, I'm comforting her. I'm rubbing her face and I'm saying, I love you, mom. And then of course that one brother said something to me. I don't even know what he said, but I yelled at him in front of the priest. I told him to shut up. And of course, that didn't go over well. But the priest more or less was telling him. He held out his hands towards the one brother for him to stay quiet and to let me grieve and to let me comfort my mother. Even if the priest is doing the last rites, it doesn't mean you have to stand four feet away from her bed and and whatever. You know, I, I just felt like my the human touch. And at that point, my mother went, ugh, because she always tried so hard to talk with me. She just... She tried so hard to be strong for me, and I at times I feel I failed her. I failed her in not bringing her back, but I guess it, it wasn't meant to be. But it's sad because, you know, she trusted the ones that ended up hurting her the most. And my husband warned her. He left her a message on the phone when she had revoked me twice uh, behind my back, and didn't have, didn't tell me, just be respectful, like at least tell me you're going to revoke me so that I know and not find out as a cruel joke when you did get sick that, you know, her sons would throw it in my face. She revoked you, haha, she loved you more. And I just thought, I, I'm glad that the angels are were on my side. And I found out by accident, the, the second time by the person from the bank. And so it was it was just for me such disrespect and and for my mother to lie to me it just was so disrespectful but i forgave her i forgive her but at times it, it still hurts the the lies that were said the disrespect even the the last christmas at her house i didn't go 
I didn't call her on Christmas Day because um, two days before that, she was on the phone with my uh, other another brother, and they were encouraging my youngest brother to go there for Christmas. And then my mother was saying, oh, she always barrages me. And then I'm thinking, that's not true. I was so done with, with what she said, but I, I feel that she was manipulated to say that. But that, she, but she still said it, and it hurt me so much because the last encounter I had with my mom before that Christmas was two things. She called me crying uh, before her CWLT on the Friday. You want your name on all the papers? And I said, yes, but it's not the point of that, Mom. It's the be respectful, be honest with me. And I said, yes, but I don't want any more lies. I don't want any more... Uh, secrecy. If you're going to revoke them again, tell them and and be honest, be strong. But if you want me to take care of you, yes, I'll put my name on all the papers. But then uh, another son of hers showed up and then it was like he was calling me twice and yelling and screaming at me. And so I called my mother after that and said, if he calls here again, I'm calling the police on him. So then that Christmas of December 2016, when she said, oh, she's always barraging me, trash-talking me before Christmas, I thought, okay, I'm done. I'm done, done, done with her, with the whole family. And then she ended up getting sick in March and ended up in the hospital with brain bleed. And then I really realized that she had dementia and and that was it. So I forgave her. But it, it doesn't take away the hurt and uh, and all of the other stuff that happened. And then when my brothers had a meeting with the doctor at the hospital, they didn't invite me or my youngest brother because they knew that we would probably say we'll take care of our mom. Uh, one of us in our home, well, it ha- would have to be me or her in our home if she couldn't stay in her home. But then, you know, the one brother that always said he was investing her money in case she needed nursing care at her home, well, then that money could have been used, but he did not use that money to keep her in her home because as soon as he could, in April 2017, he took her out and brought her to the facility. And that night she called me crying, come and get her. So anyway, anyway, there's so much to this story. It's all in my documents. It's all in my affidavits. It's all for public um, use if if anyone wants to uh, uh, read the affidavits. Uh, but my final gift to my mom was to do this memorial mass. And then we did. And then we had this party at our house, which is what I was getting back to. And my husband started playing music. And we had a house full of people. Uh, we offered it and we had invited, you know, whoever wanted to come over. Uh, I mean, we have a big house, but it's not huge, imagine it all. It's just a regular house, but it's big enough that we could have a big party. And we had a spaghetti supper, and again, everyone contributed to uh, the supper, even though we offered uh, spaghetti and gluten-free spaghetti, and we had spaghetti sauce and gluten-free spaghetti sauce and then salads galore and all kinds of uh, desserts that were contributed and and brought back from the luncheon from the church and the kids had a great time the little grandkids and other people's kids came over and uh, it was just great 
uh, singing. There's some dancing by one of the relatives, uh, singing by so many relatives. And uh, I was on the main floor in the living room or down in the, <coughs> also in the family room. And we have guitars, drums. And so one of our guests played the drums and the kids ran outside. And, and just it was just so much fun and it was a great celebration of my mother and I know my parents would have loved it they would have loved it my dad would have been telling someone jokes my mom would have been in the kitchen uh, talking to someone or helping doing dishes she was always good to help and uh, it would have been just a great celebration of her life and the and for my parents and then the next day we drove our daughter Jessica back uh, and her three boys to their home, which is uh, near North Bay, but we stopped in Calendar, and I had some, I had asked one of my brothers, were there any flowers at my mother's gravesite in Calendar? And he said, no. So there were no flowers brought to my mother's uh, gravesite uh, in the little black lanterns that were beside my parents' st stone, which is also included to my grandparents' And so I wanted to bring flowers for my mom and my dad. And I remember when my dad was getting becoming more sick uh, for Mother's Day, I remember buying him some red roses and giving them to my dad to say, here, give this to, to mom for Mother's Day. And so she was so thrilled with those red roses. So that's what I, I bought her, some artificial red roses. And I put that in the lantern. And for my grandmother... We called her Nanny and my grandfather Pappy, so that would be Lena uh, Dupuy Millette and Raphael Millette. We, uh, she always told me how much she loved pansies, so I, I bought some pansies and I put that in the other lantern. And at the gravesite, you could see the ground was still fresh from uh, the urn that was had my contained my mother's ashes. So that kind of like shocked me still, uh, seeing yeah this just happened. October 10th and October 22nd, we went the day after the memorial mass. And I noticed there was a tiny little bit of flowers that someone planted in the ground that were dead, but someone did bring some flowers, uh, maybe after the fact, or maybe when they read my Facebook post about that. But And I was glad to see that. I don't know who did that. But anyway, there were tiny little tiny little red roses, I think, at one time, and they were still in the ground. So, But I, I placed those uh, artificial flowers in my parents' urn, and I remember when my dad had, a, they had his uh, burial at the Calendar Cemetery, and my mother was upset because the priest or the minister that came that day for my dad's burial of his urn I uh, didn't say the Lord's Prayer, and it really bothered her. So when Mike and I uh, brought the flowers to my mother's gravesite and then to my grandmother's, we both stood there and we said the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And we said that for my mom and my dad and my grandparents. 
So, and that was the end of that. And then Mike and I dropped off Jessica and her boys at their place. And then Mike and I, we just needed a, a break, a breather, a time to regroup. And we took a, a little room. It was a cabin, actually, on uh, Lake Bernard in Sunridge. And we stayed there. The guy gave it to us for a really good price. <laughs> and... Uh, from the Hotel Caswell or Caswell Hotel in Sunridge, but it was a little cabin right on the lake, and you walk out, and there's the beach. It was just beautiful. So being a photographer, I took a ton of pictures, and we had a beautiful pizza that night at one of the pizza places in Sunridge, and then we um, went to a bistro the next day, and we went to a little store called 89 Main, went to there. The lady wanted to agreed to do a podcast with me and she also offered for Mike to do a gig in Sunridge and she'll give him a free overnight us a free overnight stay at one of her Airbnbs in Sunridge so it was a nice nice cap and a nice ending to uh, a nice tribute I felt a beautiful tribute to my mom since since all of this has happened I've had a range of emotions um dealing with the grief of losing my mom. It's gone from sadness to glad she's free now and to upsetness over stuff that happened in the past, being angry over what has happened in the past, to a sigh of relief that she can still can dance with my dad, to all kinds of emotions. Grief takes so many different stages. But there's some weird things that happened too lately. Um, weird things. Um, when the night that, the next morning when I found out my mother passed away, September 29th, 2023, there was a room in our house. We call it, we have four bedrooms, but the third bedroom, I always called it mom's room. And that's where I have our dresser set. And so I always thought, when I win this legal matter, I'll be bringing my mom back and this will be her room that she can stay in. And I'll be able to take care of her in her room where the two, the dresser set is that used to belong to my parents. So that morning, when I found out she passed, uh, we cried, my husband and I, and all of, all of that. And then I walked into that room. And I also was saying other things about my mom, too, you know, past whatever that's gone on. But I walked into that room, and all of a sudden I could smell my mother's smell and it kind of freaked me out I thought okay this is mom that's mom's smell and then I walked out of that room and then there was a few days later on when I was talking to Mike and I was crying about my mom and and I was in the middle of our living room dining room and kitchen and all of a sudden I was standing there near the deacon's bench and all of a sudden I could smell her smell again and I said, oh, my God, I could smell my mom. And Mike said, are you sure? I said, yeah, she's right here. And then there was another incident um, where I was lying in bed and I was dreaming. And all of a sudden, I could feel two hands were comforting and holding my hands. And I thought at first they were my son's hands, Brent. But then as I recounted, my dream, or recanted my dream to my husband, I realized 
Those two hands that were gently holding my hands were my mother's hands because in my when I was telling him what I experienced in my dream, they were white whiter hands, frail, elderly woman's hands, and then I realized they were my mother's hands. It was as if my mother was comforting me. And I had taken why I really realized those were my mother's hands and it shocked me was because many times when I'd go to the manor, she would hold my hands. She would just hold my hands. We'd be sitting together and she'd hold my hands. So I took many pictures of her hands holding my hands and vice versa, me holding her hands. And you could see my hands, they're younger, obviously. I mean, you know, some 20-some years younger. And I'm more tanned. And then my mother's older, frail hands with the blue veins and all that holding my hands. So then I realized that in my dreams or whatever, my mother was coming to me holding my hands. And that made me feel good. It it made me also feel like she she knew and understood the pain that I went through with everything that I went through trying to bring her back. And and the pain of other issues that I have growing up with my mom, the good and the bad, and the bad meaning at times I felt that she was too critical over me, and it hurt. And then, uh, but I have to deal with that. I have to get through that. And then another time, Patrick came over here. He was helping us with our dishwasher, and then he told us of a dream that he had the other day, which was he saw my mother standing there with her red dress on, but she actually was like a red blazer and skirt, but he felt it was a a red dress. Maybe she did have a red dress. I can't really remember, but she was just standing there smiling at him and her skin looked younger. So I said to Patrick, well, that's because mom is proud of you. She's proud of you for, for doing a eulogy, writing a eulogy for her and standing at the podium, the altar at her church and saying your beautiful words about our, our mother and your beautiful memories of our mother who helped you to learn math by teaching you how to bake and measure, uh, how to measure flour and use the measuring cups and all of these different things. Uh, she was proud of you. So she was standing in front of you in your dream with this beautiful red dress smiling at you. And then Chanel, uh, oh yeah, getting back to our our little overnight stay in Sunridge. We had gone into this pizza place uh, near the hotel where we were staying. It was part of the hotel. I think it's called Pio Pie. And my husband went back and forth to the van. There were three times that he had gone to the van to get something. And on the way out of the pizza place, he noticed a dime kind of in the ground right beside the, the van. And I said, oh, that's for my mom or my dad, because they say that's how you they reach out to you. Uh, before my mother died, I saw a butterfly, and I thought of my mother right away. And then since she passed away, I've seen other butterflies, butterflies on on a lamp that was given to me by a good friend of ours, a butterfly on a bench that we saw at a gas station, uh, a butterfly, a beautiful little orange butterfly, on its own flying in front of our house 
that I took pictures of. And so I thought that was my mother's way. But the dime is also, they say dimes and feathers are another way that sometimes people who have passed away give you signs. So my mother, uh, my husband saw this dime stuck in the ground. He said, I don't know why I didn't see it before. I went to the van three times and now I see it. But it's because I think we were talking about my mother uh, while we were eating pizza at this pizza place and enjoying the authentic Italian cuisine kind of thing. And so then I, I talked to Chanel about this, our daughter, and she said, well, I found a dime. I said, where did you find a dime? And she said, well, she had brought Hendrix to school, her, her five-year-old son, and she didn't notice the dime on the passenger seat of her car before. And, and when she got home, she went to make sure the doors were locked or whatever, and then she discovered there was a dime on the passenger seat. And I said, well, that's from my mom, I guess. And then she said, yeah. And then she said, get, and she was saying like it wasn't there before. So then I told her of the times that I saw a dime after my dad died, once in the, you know, on top of the clothes in the laundry. It was weird that it was there. Uh, once in the parking lot, another dime and whatever. So then while we were talking on the phone, Hendrix runs in, her little, her little guy, and he said, Mommy, I found a dime. And it was out in the backyard. And then he said, Grandma B said she loves me. So there you go. My mother is still around. She might not have been strong near the end of her life when she had to deal with three of her sons who were pushing out two of her kids from her family and doing the things that got her to do against us, not invite us for Thanksgiving or whatever, Christmas. Um, but she's strong now. She's showing us she's still around. So there you go. That's how things are. And when Hendrix, a five-year-old, says Grandma B loves him, I think my mother's still reaching out to the grandkids and great-grandkids that she was deprived of seeing when one of her sons took her away to Little Current. And she didn't get to see them because it's two hours away and we were never told if she was in the manor or not. So it was always a big risk for us to drive the four hours to see if she's there or not. But she's now seeing them. She's now got her strength back and she's reaching out. So getting back to current day, it is now November 2nd, 2023. I still have to deal with what two of her sons are planning to do. <laughs> it's funny, one of their kids after the calendar cemetery, after the calendar funeral mass, took a picture of three of my mother's sons sitting around at her place in North Bay, and they don't look happy. But I don't know why. They were probably mad that I didn't go to the funeral, maybe, uh, because when my youngest brother called the other brother, uh, brother number four, he said, why wasn't Joanne at that funeral in calendar? Uh, 
I'm so tired of her BS and all this kind of stuff. I thought, why are they getting him riled up? Because I didn't go. And then another relative, two of them actually said, it was so weird. Your One of your brothers was outside the church pacing back and forth as if he's looking for someone. And then when he saw one of the brothers, he said, oh, good, so-and-so's here, their family. And then he was still outside pacing, pacing. And I thought, well, if he was looking for me, I certainly didn't go. And two of my kids didn't go. And their families didn't go. And my stepson didn't go. And a lot of other people told me by messenger and in person that they didn't go. And they weren't planning to go. Some went. And that's okay. Uh, they went to the funeral in calendar, and they went also came to the memorial mass uh, in at St. Kevin's in Valterres. So each to their own, and they were glad to have come. Went to both, but some of them said that's not where she wanted her mass, her funeral mass in calendar. She she went there a few times after she was born with her parents, but then they moved away. So that wasn't her parish. Her parish was St. Kevin's and Valtres. So anyway, um, at this point, I I have the money if I want to hire a new lawyer, which I've been in, like I said, I've been in contact with. And, uh, but I'm just waiting to see. But I already, this one brother that was so mad because I didn't go to the funeral in calendar, who got him riled up? Was it the the three sons that are now the three amigos standing together? <laughs> and one of them had said to the other one, within six months of my mother being at the manor, that he was so sick and tired of being there, because I have that uh, recorded by one of the brothers. And another brother, who's the second POA, said he's uh, that she that our mother was such a burden because she's still alive, I guess. This was just barely within six months that they had placed her at the manor. And I have that recorded, um, that he had said that to another brother who had disclosed that to me, that the two POAs, one had, was already sick and tired of going to see her, and one said that she was such a burden. And yet here are these two hypocrites uh, having these this funeral for her in calendar, which is probably a convenience for all of them. Uh, and then uh, now they're there burying our mother. But then they also, one of them had said to uh, the brother that lives close by, I had said, um, well, her insurance money should be coming in soon. And uh, how much is it? Because I guess he's looking for money. And the one brother the main POE said 15. But again, when I looked at my old insurance papers that I had from copied when I was my mother's POA twice, it said her insurance was 21. So he's still lying. He's still a liar and he's still a thief. And uh, I've forgiven my mother. I still have to work through some stuff that happened. And I realized that when you have you have to realize when someone has dementia how easy other people who could be manipulative or cruel or self-interest on their own could be manipulative towards them, that it truly wasn't her fault. I just have to 
I have to keep reminding myself of that, that she didn't really mean to hurt me. And she really wanted my name on all those papers. That's what she said in November of 2016 when she called me tearfully crying because she missed me. We were, we were friends, mother and daughter. And that they, she felt she had no other choice to have peace was to go with the three that uh, pushed her. So anyway, this is all on my affidavits. <clears throat> and uh, sometimes things in life are complicated. And then I see the wars here in Ukraine and Russia and the wars in Israel and Gaza. And I'm thinking, oh, why can't there be peace? And then I'm realizing peace starts at home. And if there's no peace at the home, because someone is the initiator and this one brother that is now the was the POA and now executor. He was the initiator and caused so much destruction, and and then I it was one more thing because before when he found out my mother had revoked him and this is on my affidavits, he said to me when he came down he drove two hours from Little Current to my mother's house and I was there with my youngest brother Patrick and my mother was there, and he said who do you think you are. That's what he said to me in front of my mother and Patrick because he was mad that my mother revoked him. And so then he said to me, I wish you never woke up this morning. So I took that, my God, my brother wants me dead. He wished that I was dead. So I texted my husband, Mike, who came over and Patrick heard him. My mother heard him. This one brother wished for my death. He didn't say how. <laughs> he didn't say when. So when I called the police, I have a police report on that. <clears throat> I talked to the constable about that. And the other, another incident when we went to the manor and our, our tire was slashed with an ice pick or screwdriver. And one of the tire store managers at, at the store, a Canadian tire in Espanola said, do you have any enemies? I said, yeah, <laughs> two of them for sure, three for sure. I, and uh, three of my five brothers, <clears throat> but the one that lives in Little Current, uh, I don't know who slashed our front passenger tire in the middle of the sidewall, on the outside of the sidewall, <clears throat> with a nice pick or screwdriver. And there's only one of my uh, my mother's sons that lives in Little Current, the one who brought her there. So uh, when my mother was dying, I said something to my uh, brother after I told him to shut up because I was just, to me, comforting my mother. I was grieving her because I thought she was dying. And she did die the next day. But the priest more or less told him to leave me alone uh, by, with his motions, with his hands. And then after the priest left, I said something to my brother, well, I know you wanted me dead. And then he started yelling at me. I didn't say that, he said, and he was pointing his finger at me, and I looked at him. I was incredulous, thinking, oh, my God, you're, li you're a liar, but you're also lying to yourself. Mom heard you. Patrick heard you. I have it on the affidavits that I swore upon at the courts, and you never once had your lawyer say that isn't true, that you did say that you did say that. I have a text message to my husband saying, Raymond wants me dead. Come come to my mother's house. And then you lied about my husband saying he hurt my mother when that was a lie too because he ran out the door. This one brother ran out the door. 
And he has a fourth degree in karate or whatever. So he was afraid of my husband, who is an older man, almost 70, half, you know, beat up from falling off the train twice and walks with a cane. Yet he said that my husband did that. My mother signed an affidavit that it wasn't true. But he still lies about that. And so at when my mother was dying, this one brother is saying, pointing his finger, and I thought he was going to hit me in the room where my mother was dying. And he said, I didn't say that. And I said to him calmly, and I'm almost laughing at him, saying, yes, you did. You did say that. I didn't have to repeat word for word how he said it by saying he wished that I didn't wake up this morning. But if you interpret it, he wished for my death. And then when our tire was slashed in October 2017, I really wonder if it was him that slashed our tire. But we would have to have security cameras, and the manor didn't have security cameras. But that's on the police report, too, that I suspected that he was the one. But you need always proof, and we would have needed a GPS signaling of when he was there. But he owns a farm. So he definitely would have a screwdriver, and he likes ice fishing, so he definitely would have an ice pick. Anyway, uh, this was going on when my mother was dying. So two days after my mother dies, he's supposedly grieving, or maybe even a day after, he sends a text and twisting the whole how it happened, that I was causing so much disruption, <laughs> when it was him that chastised me when I was grieving and and rubbing my mother's face and telling her I loved her. and and But then he, he sends a text message, two of them, twisting what, what really happened. And if I was so disruptive while the priest was doing the last rites, the priest would have told me to shut up. But the priest chastised him with his words, with his action, I mean, with his hands, not his words, but with his hands, more or less, leave me alone. And that's what I was trying to tell this POA at the time was leave me alone. I'm grieving. I didn't know they were going to do last rites. I walk in the room and there's the priest. So anyway, this uh, <laughs> it's hard to see a request for peace in this world when there's not even peace in your own family. And uh, it's sad that you think when you get older, siblings come together and families come together. And in my case with the Beaudry family, the one POA destroyed my dad's family, destroyed my mom, uh, killed her prematurely, I feel, be, by putting her into a place, six years prison, by not offering any care for her for the fact that she had dementia, taking her away from the Alzheimer's Society and not offering any care for her with her depression other than a nurse going in there and probably giving her more antidepressants. I don't know. Uh, for five years, the two POAs hid the medical, and so they lost in court for costs. Uh, like Because I said, if they simply showed me the medical, I would have walked away. There's a lot of other things, too, that I can't say on this podcast because uh, I had to sign confidentiality documents on the sale of the house, which to me doesn't make any sense at all. But that's another thing. And if you want to read that, that's at the Sudbury Courthouse. Anyway, this is, uh, this is my podcast um, 
after the memorial mass and uh, what should I do for the next steps? I kind of already feel I need to do. Even one of my neighbors said I'd fight back. <laughs> That's one of my neighbors. Uh, <laughs> so justice has to be served. And sometimes there is no peace until justice is served. And so, and if you stay silent, well, that speaks volumes too, because if you stay silent, silence speaks volumes. Silence means acceptance of what was done, bad or wrong, or you're accepting. Saying nothing says a lot that you're accepting when injustices are had. And saying nothing means, oh, well, you know, you let them have their, their way when you should not stay silent. And obviously with this podcast, I'm not being silent. You should not stay silent when injustice was done. And to me, injustice was done against our mother and the, and the memory of my dad who went to an orphanage in North Bay and foster homes and always dreamed of a family. And he had a family, six kids, and the one POA that initiated all this crap in our family, in the Baudry family, that also went after me and almost destroyed me with his words and his lies and his slander and his manipulation over our mother and destroyed that relationship and destroyed my mother's family and destroyed her last six years of her life by putting it into a place she did not want to go to. I can't stay silent. And this podcast is one way of not staying silent. And then hiring a lawyer to um, seek justice and holding them accountable. So already he's lying to the one brother who has a mental health illness. He's lying. And so I can't stay silent. Justice has to be served. So there you go. Speak up. Say something. And for the wars in this world, I hope there is peace. But in, in our own families and in every family, almost, almost every family, there's something where there's jealousy, sibling rivalry, there's greed, there's whatever. There's hatefulness, there's back-talking, trash-talking. And that's not what I want to feel, that my parents wanted to leave us as a legacy. My dad wanted a family, so this one brother destroyed his family and had our mother almost hate two of her kids and trash-talk two of her kids. And then it almost destroyed her when apparently the last Christmas in her house, the one another brother had said to me she was crying in her bedroom. She didn't want to come out. Well, you know, she gave in to the peace. She, did, she ended up being broken down. And she gave in by not speaking up. She tried, but by not speaking up, she didn't. She let them have their way. But in a way, that became her cross to bear. It ended up becoming her hell on earth, her prison. So I can't let that happen. And... I'm not 100% physically well because I had heart surgery and I still have to deal with that, but I can sure hire someone to take care and 
have justice be had for my mother, for me, for my the memory of my dad, and to take care of the ones that caused hell on earth and have seek justice. So there you go. This is my podcast uh, for today.